Hello, everyone. In this episode, Andy talks with Laura Klein, who is a veteran in the experience research space, whether as a UX researcher, engineer, or product manager. We talked about designing for the smallest possible thing as a way to avoid the tremendous cost of rework. I really enjoyed Laura's perspectives. Many of our listeners will know her from her books, Lean UX for Startups and Build Better Products. She brings a lot of those insights into this conversation. Yes, speaking of insights, Andy, why did the tomato turn to its wise friend for insights? I don't know if I want to know why, but why did the tomato do that? Because it wanted to catch up on the latest discoveries. All right. All right, there we go. Welcome to Insights Unlocked, an original podcast from User Testing, where we bring you candid conversations and stories with the thinkers, doers, and builders behind some of the most successful digital products and experiences in the world, from concept to execution. Welcome to the Insights Unlocked podcast. Today, we have Laura Klein on the show. Laura is a key influencer in the UX industry. She is the author of two significant books, UX for Lean Startups and Build Better Products. She has worked as an engineer, UX designer, and product manager for companies all sizes and advises early-stage startups and consults with companies that want to improve their research, UX, and product development processes. She is also a UX director and host of the podcast, What's Up With Hiring? Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. It should be uh, a lot of fun to chat with you about the things going on in our industry. Well, to tee up our conversation, we've asked UX researchers in the User Testing Contributor Network their thoughts on the benefits and challenges to including customer feedback in the product development process. Here's what they said. In your experience, what are the top reasons product launches fail? Ah, yes. So the, the worst ones you can have is where the wrong product has been launched, which is like it didn't have any of the features or requirements or anything that the customer really needs. And basically it's like you're throwing a product there that's not, that was doomed to fail from the beginning because you you launched a product that nobody wanted. <sighs> I mean, this is like the eternal problem right, with any kind of UX research sharing, right? Like it goes in a deck somewhere or it goes in some research repository and then it gets ignored or it's in some centralized hub other people don't know about. Uh, so users are really important, uh, being able to understand what are their needs, their problem, then identify the solution and to ensure that the solution is the right one. If you have a base that is pretty solid, usually uh, your launch should be better or at least a bit safer. The challenges to UX research, I would say, um, is stakeholder buy-in, getting your stakeholders and other uh, people in the company to kind of buy into doing research and seeing the benefits of it. Um, the biggest challenge is just kind of um, backlash from, from higher ups, right? Like they, they want to hear one thing. Uh, depending on what questions you ask, you have to ask the right questions in order to not be biased. I think what I would want to change is more focus on the outcome or the impact of the customer insights. Um, again, I think making that business case that these insights are important for how the business is run and various decisions that need to get made would help um, show how important customer insights are. And I think oftentimes that sometimes gets lost, especially with a lot of qualitative research. Um, so again, focusing on more of the, the outcome piece of customer insight um, to, to help people understand why it's important for them to know. I, I do always enjoy listening to people who are 
uh, in these roles talk about the importance of you know talking to actual customers and and getting feedback. I will say I felt um, I don't know if it's seen or con- or concerned when they talk about one of the big challenges being uh, higher up, just having a different point of view and not wanting to believe you as the CEO of a company. I'm a little bit like, oh no, is is that me? Uh, but I thought I thought there was a lot of really good stuff in there that I could certainly relate to. Uh, Laura, what was what was your thought after uh, uh, going through it and, and hearing from our contributors? Um, I I would say my response after listening to that is yes, those are all things that I have heard repeatedly from so many frustrated, sad uh, researchers, people who you know, get hired to do a job and then are not sort of allowed to do the job. And all of the reasons that they gave for why it's really important to listen to them are 100% true, right? Like we don't want to, it it makes no sense to wait until the thing is out in the world before you find out that you built it wrong or that if you'd done something 10% different, it would have gone better. Um, it makes no sense to just try to come up with random ideas for things and then throw them out into the world as opposed to like getting out there and just understanding who your users might be and what they might be trying to do. And the I, I, like I said, the, the most frustrating part of it, of course, is the it just the, the cries for help around, why won't they listen to me? How do I get them to listen to me? Do I need to tell stories better? Do I need to, what do I need to do differently? It's like, it, it feels so weird to hire experts to do a job and then not pay any attention to them. And, you know, and even it, it's it's just frustrating because you can do so much. You can learn so much. I mean, even if you don't have an expert in the room, you can learn so much from this stuff. You just have to pay attention to it and believe it. And it's uh, it's endlessly frustrating. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, you, you built you wrote uh, Build Better Products almost 10 years ago now. And its central premise was, um, you know, how do we, um, how do we make it a compelling vision that is user centered that will help us guide us towards building these better products? Um, technology, I think to your point has made it easier maybe to ship something. I think about, you know, maybe 10 years ago, scaling something might've been hard. Distributing it might've been hard. I mean, I, I say all the time, I write pretty bad code. I was an engineer a long time ago, but I could put my bad code in one of these big public clouds and they'll scale it. Um, and I can put my app in an app store and they'll distribute it. But the question is, will people want to use it? And so do you feel like, uh, even though it's so much easier in theory to build something, is it is it harder to build something good? Or do you feel like we're building better products now? I mean, where do you think we are on that journey? People are hard. People are, people are messy and hard and confusing and understanding them. Uh, on the upside, it is easier to talk to more people now. That is a lovely thing, right? You can get more information. Sometimes that, I mean, well, if you do it correctly, that makes things actually much easier. But the people can feel like it makes it slower or they can feel like they're not getting what they want, right? But like people are hard. It's it's hard to understand what they want. It's hard to look at their problems and say, this is a solution for them, right? That's a tough thing to do. And making it easier to push code is useful. I mean, that's great. I'm glad that we can get things out in front of people faster, but it just means that there's a lot more stuff that gets pushed out in front of people where they haven't done the hard part. I mean, look, the easier you make the fun stuff, the, you know, the like, let's code and let's be creative and let's have ideas and let's brainstorm things. Like, 
the easier you make that, the less likely people are to do the hard, important stuff. Like, let's actually solve a problem and understand how to change people's behavior. Which, I mean, changing behavior is hard. If you've ever tried to do it to yourself, it's tough. Yeah. What an expensive way to get that feedback. I mean, even though the cycles are shorter and maybe it is easier to ship something, but to get all the way in to build something to then find out, it is kind of amazing to realize that that's the mindset of so many folks these days when you could have gotten this feedback. It's a lot easier to change something when it's, uh, you know, drawn on a cocktail napkin or it's a, you know, a, a sketch you've drawn or it's in Figma than, you know, we shipped it. It's out in the world and now we need to go change it. But yet that's still the MO for so many, so many folks. If you have a true understanding of who you're building for and why you're building it, if you really know deeply the problems, the context, the flow of your users, if you understand what they want and need and how to make them better and how to make their lives better, and you also know that you can give them something that they will be so excited about that they will be throwing money at you. (laughs) Like, give me that thing. Here is my money. That is what you want. That is the goal, right? That thing is so great. That makes my life so much better. It makes me so much better. I am happy to give you money in exchange for it. That's what we want, right? And But to do that, you have to know what they actually need and what improves them. (laughs) I think that's well said. I also think it's, it's, uh, I've always found it to be important that it's not just who does it, but it's also, um, how they bring the voice, maybe the actual voice of that customer into the rest of the the people around the table and into the process. I think sometimes, um, and maybe this is what we heard in the video with some of the contributors talking, if what you do is go out and listen to a bunch of customers, but then you synthesize it in a way that it sounds like it's just your ideas, it gets really hard. Like all of a sudden you're just at the table pitching your ideas and, and you know, maybe you're persuasive, maybe you're not. I think if, um, if you're effective at, at doing this, you're not representing your point of view. You're representing like, look, let me show you the evidence. Let me let me let you relate and empathize with the 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 prospect, the customer, the user, or the employee, whoever it might be. Um, and I think folks that do it well are kind of shepherding that voice into the conversation versus trying to represent it. And I think that's a mistake a lot of us can make, which is we just know. Like, I mean, this is my problem. Or as a product manager, I would go talk to a bunch of customers. I would have incredible conviction we should go do something. And then it would go, this is back when we used to actually meet in an office with people. I would go back to the office and I'd sit down with my team and I would tell them, I know this is the answer. And then I would look like, well, like, that's great, Andy, but you're like a 27-year-old product manager. Like, I don't have to listen to you. Like, that's not interesting to me. Uh, And when I got a lot better at it, I was able to sort of capture, you know, here's what I heard from this customer. I would write down sentences back then because I was often on airplanes meeting customers like, this person at this company said this, right? This was important to them. And everybody else could kind of come to the conclusion with me. Oh, we should change this. We should do that. We should do this. And I think that's one of the things that you sort of get at with your point of like, it doesn't matter who does it, um, but that everybody should care. And I think that's maybe a really key point that gets lost a lot. So one of the things I wanted to specifically ask you about is um, you have this um, point you've written about, which is designing for the smallest possible thing. Um, and I think it's a really interesting idea. I think it can help avoid, you know, rework and sort of shipping things that don't connect. So can you tell us a little about, about what does it mean to design for the smallest possible thing? Yes. Designing the smallest possible thing is one of those things like um, MVP, minimum viable product, that I think sometimes gets taken in the wrong way. And it bothers me because it's build the smallest possible thing that you can to learn something 
or to understand something better, uh, it's not build the small, I mean, like I can build small crappy things all the time, right? I can build a shelf that doesn't hold books, right? It's not a good shelf. It's not a shelf. I don't actually need to build that shelf to learn that that's not a shelf that I want in my house, right? I don't have to build bad buggy things. I'm not, that's, it doesn't help me learn anything. The best conference to help brands launch the most compelling digital experiences returns. We hope to see you at our annual customer conference, the Human Insights Summit, when it takes over Seattle this August. Get a chance to learn from and network with the best minds in research, design, product, and marketing across the globe. More than 400 attendees will take over Seattle to learn, connect, and have fun. Join us for three days that will change how you use human insight to create exceptional customer experiences. Don't miss this 2023, live in person and streaming globally. Register at usertesting.com slash this. So this idea of, it, it's more sort of figure out what you want to know. What do you want to learn? right? Do you want to learn if people really have a specific problem that you think they might have? Do you want to learn if the thing that you're thinking is the right solution for it is the right solution? Do you want to learn if this thing that you've designed is usable by people trying to do a specific task? Those are all very different kinds of things to learn, and you could learn them with different stuff. Sometimes you just want to learn, is this thing that I wrote, is this copy that I wrote, does this make any sense to anybody, right? You don't need to build a whole product to figure that out. You could do that by showing people a piece of paper or, you know, showing them a screen. You can do so many things. You can learn things with things called concierge tests or, or Wizard of Oz tests or, you know, you can, but you need to be careful. It's not about building something small just for the sake of small. It's not about building something and just getting it out there and then seeing what happens. Generally, what happens is nothing. Um, it's about figuring out what you want to learn and understanding the best way to go about that. And the fact is, sometimes you actually know what you need to build, right? At some point, you just are going to build it. Um, but you always need to build stuff that delivers value to people and bad things that don't have the right features doesn't have to be all the features but it has to be the right features that don't have the right feature set you're not going to learn anything from it like are you going to learn anything from an email client that only sends email and doesn't receive it yeah probably not right it's not a useful thing it's not a, it's not i mean it's certainly small it's not useful Exactly. Yeah. I think some, I think your point about sometimes a small thing can actually have a big negative impact uh, makes me think about, it. I think it was office space where the programmer puts the decimal point in the wrong place and their whole plan becomes uh, an issue. I think that's uh, it's always interesting to think about small tweaks to software that can have big negative ramifications as well. So everybody in a company tends to have a different sort of understanding of what needs to be built and everybody has different incentives. Often our incentives are set up entirely incorrectly. I can't tell you how many product teams are incentivized to build fast. Like they are incentivized to ship a thing this quarter. And when they say ship, they mean ship to everybody or they mean ship an actual product, not 
run a test, not um, understand something better, not learn something, not build a platform, right? So right there, if that's what you're giving people bonuses based on, that's what you're going to get, even if it's not what you need, even if it's not good for your customers, right? If you're incentivizing each team for being innovative and scrappy and building their own thing, that's what you're going to get. You're not going to get good end-to-end experiences. You're not going to get good collaboration. You're not going to get anybody thinking beyond the surfaces of their own product. You're going to get a lot of local maximization and no sort of global optimization of, you know, the the actual thing that you want. You'll get a bunch of duplication. You'll get people going off and building their own stuff because that's what you have incentivized as a company. If you have a lot of senior leader, and you know, I, I don't want I don't want this to come across as like you know that this is something that has deeply scarred me. Um, but also, <laughs> if um, if you've got you know a senior leadership team who is passing down vague, oh, we need to you know add AI to it, we need to sprinkle some crypto on it, like you know what, like then you're going to get a bunch of people getting all excited about those things and. They're going to build that for a while until you come up with the next thing and nothing's ever going to kind of get done well. Again, I'm kind of a dinosaur. I was around for, you know, the original, <laughs> you know, the, the, when I, I was around when people were asking themselves, mm, this internet thing, is it really going to take off? We're not sure. We think CD-ROMs are the future. And you know what? That was a legitimate question. It was, I, I was very much team web the whole time i just want to say um but like there people like smart people who had industry experience were asking like is this web thing going to take off same thing happened with mobile right for a long time we had mobile phones but like it didn't really kind of you know hockey stick until we had the phone and then all of a sudden it was like oh my god we have so we have so much new capability how but then the question is not just like how do we shove this thing onto mobile, although a lot of people did that and it wasn't great in many cases, it was more, how do the unique capabilities of this new thing enable my customers in interesting, useful ways? I can't tell you how much I like taking pictures of checks to deposit them, right? I love it. It's wonderful. That was not a thing that was easy to do before mobile. And I mean, I can't tell you how much I, as a person who gets lost all the time, love turn-by-turn directions. And I mean, everybody's going, well, the Savals existed. No, they haven't. We had maps and they were terrible for people like me. So this is, so whenever you get this new technology, whether it's AI, whether it's, okay, not crypto or blockchain, those are useless. Uh, <laughs> but whether it's AI, whether it's web, whether it's, you know, mobile, whether it's GPS, um, new battery technology, I don't care. Like figure out what problem could this solve? And I, the weird thing is, I I have some, I have some some ethical concerns. I, I am not concerned that AI is going to take over and become our robot overlords. This is not a concern for me. However, I have some ethical concerns with the actual use of AI. I have uh, extremely ethical concerns with the way that AI is trained. Um, some environmental concerns about it. That said, I do think that there are applications for things like LLMs that could really help people. Not if you just try to shove it in there for marketing purposes. You have to find like, okay, well, what are LLMs good at and what are they terrible at? 
and let's do the first and let's avoid the second like the plague. I love it. I love it. Uh, Laura, thank you for being on the show today. Um, if someone wants to learn more about you or what you are doing, what should they do? Where should they go? Oh, if somebody wants to learn more about me, I I would really worry about them and tell them to find something better to do with their lives. But if you're if you insist, um, I do have a website. It is uh, usersno.com. That is K N O W, <laughs> not users. No, and uh, I do the podcast. Yeah, what is wrong with hiring? And um, I wrote a couple of books: uh, Build Better Products and UX for Lean Startups. Those are all on the website. It's you know it's there. I'm also on Mastodon. Um, I don't really talk about UX there, but you know, come say hi. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully people will check out the podcast and, uh, and also check out your site. Um, I, there's just a lot to learn from, from your books and from your site. And I'm sure the podcast, uh, is great. I'll be adding it to my podcast list. It was really fun having you on the show. Really enjoyed the conversation. Um, tremendous insights. So thank you for spending some time with us. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find the show notes at usertesting.com slash podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or Google Play so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, please share it with a friend or leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, this is Insights Unlocked, an original podcast from User Testing.